Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we are recording for the first time in our new studio at yes, the Ham's are. Brewery in St. Paul, Minnesota. It's awesome. It's awesome. I feel good. We we have a we actually have a property manager here, which is a huge plus. We've also got uh, garbage, <laughs> which is a huge plus. The, it, it's all in all, it's much better for us. Morale is high. We're all moved it is. in. Everything's done. I feel good. I've been working nonstop on this for you have a been week putting a in a lot of work. A lot and of I work. appreciate that. And uh, my wife is actually over there right now, <laughs> spackling the wall of the old place, old place. So our jerk landlord doesn't take your security deposit. I know. I've never. What is it with landlords? Why do they have such? Is there? Have you ever had a good landlord? I think the one we have right now is going to be great. I think you're probably right. So I moved from 1999 uh-huh. till 2015. Kay. I moved once a year every year <laughs> that sucks it sucks but i was a professional mover i mean i can move a couch like you would not believe <laughs> anyway so um, i've never had a good landlord they've always been they've always tried to keep my money keep my security deposit they've never been good they've always tried to steal from me devil's and advocate here will say what is the one thing in common with all those scenarios i had a landlord you. <laughs> i had a landlord that's the one thing that's in common so beyond that what is going on so i've got two uh so I have a Midwest Porsche Porsche culture update for you guys, which I I don't know. We could do this every once in a while, but we've got two shows that are popping up in the well. One came out last year. Right. Another one is new this year, um, raising the bar on you know, basically Porsche culture in the Midwest. Because you know I consider us the the no coast. Right. right. You've got left yeah, coast. We- the left coast. Well, well I guess it's people left. do say left coast as well. <laughs> West, coast. West coast, east coast, and then you've got us in the middle. We're hashtag no coast. Hashtag no coast. Um, so we've got checked it out Chicago, and I wanted to bring this up today because they finally announced the location of their show, which is the Fulton Market Warehouse. Okay. Which I don't really know anything about. I'm not a Chicago guy, but from the photos I saw, it looks it looks pretty cool. The last event that they had um, last year was um, it was really tight. It was really an intimate spot, but it sure. was but it was really small. And I know that it was it was a good show, and I know a lot of people are going. So they've they've got room for I think you know another three times as many cars this oh, wow. year to make space for everybody. So that is in uh, that's September fourteenth. Yep. It's a pretty cool event. We went last year. Um, I'm probably going to head down again this year, and uh, maybe you'll come with me. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, but we're actually going to go and. Or I am. I'm not sure what you're doing yet. I'm going to drive down to Milwaukee or Chicago and meet all those guys from the Porsche guys from down there. Coming up. Coming up for Shina House. Shvina House. Shvinen? Shvinen House. Shvinen House. It's at. Shvina House. Which is a a Porsche event here put on by our friend Lewis, who does the MN Cars and Coffee. And I mean, he's been doing shows and little get togethers for a very long time. Right. He's really, really talented at it. And so this is a, a, a brand new one this year, and it's going to be at a really cool place called Kegan Case, which is the old historic Schmidt Brewery. Right, right. So Emery's the Emery 911K is going to be there. Right. Chris Rungi of um, Rungi Cars fame, he's going to be there. They have great food revivals, a restaurant inside, which is phenomenal. It's some of the best food in the Twin Cities. They are going to be there as well. Awesome. And that's coming up on June 23rd. I'm actually going to have Lewis in on the podcast later this month to tell us a little bit more about the event and what he's got going on. And so, and how to properly pronounce Schweine. Yeah, we will, we'll, I'll get a grade on that just like I did Lufke <laughs> call. You know, like a D, another D minus or, or whatever it is. Yeah. So, so what else have we got coming up on the show? Yeah, so let's tease what we got here. So we're going to talk about a little news, an interesting story about track safety. I was overwhelmed because we haven't done news in a while. There's a lot just, of stuff out oh there. Oh my gosh, there's so much news out there. So much has gone on because I don't want this to be necessarily a news podcast, but there's been some things going on just lately that I thought are pretty cool and worth bringing up. Yeah, absolutely. If we have time, then we have a couple listener questions, listener submission that we'd like to get to. Uh, but first, what's been going on with us with our cars? Because sometimes people like to hear about that. Yeah, nothing with me. My car is still at the I body shop. I don't know shop. where your car is. It doesn't exist anymore. It's at the body shop. I know. Because the, the stupid rust was coming <laughs> through the fender. Either, either you're driving your car across the country or it lives at the body uh, shop is what way. I have it, figured out. It feels that way. <laughs> and it kind of sucks. I guess I'm getting the car back next week. Okay. And then I'll that's be good. You driving that thing and the mercedes that is still so you know i had it at the body shop right and the reason that i had it at the body shop is um i hit somebody with the car wait the mercedes like, the mercedes i, I was, was going thinking 911 for i was going reason. four miles an hour right. in the ice and i cracked the bumper <laughs> yes which just 
whatever. Well, um, and it was it was so cold out too that it, it just shattered plastic, the bumper. Just shattered. So it, that that was at the body shop too. So everything's been at the body shop at some point. But hey, I got a brand new factory AMG front bumper <laughs> which didn't you say the insurance adjuster came was, back yeah. and was like well here's the c230 bumper yeah it's 300 bucks i go yeah man nope nope that's not, not it. the same but it's great because i got a brand new bumper the other one was you know it's 21 years old right. or whatever so, so i got some... a brand new amg factory bumper which was really expensive for the insurance company and a brand new grill because <laughs> the grill was cracked so i got a brand new okay. grill on the front the front of the car looks amazing with all factory parts so I'm yeah like, we, we pulled up to it in the studio because your car was parked to you already and we both kind of got that is actually a pretty good looking car it, is, it does look really good for it's how got a much really I'm, nice for profile. how much i make fun of it for being just a like boring grandpa mercedes that happens to have a bigger engine it looks pretty good so the guy it says the guy that looks pretty cool in his wife's rs4 <laughs> i don't know what to say to that well you drive a hummer that's your daily driver right yeah we can make fun of you for that with your sure. fake truck with your you're not even a v6 engine <laughs> oh, it's five cylinder that's yeah. ingenious right there yeah we talked about on the way here about what motors we could swap into that yeah thing. we did and the one i didn't talk about was the uh, cummins 4bt what's that it's basically Cummins big six cylinder with two cylinders lopped off. So the 4BT is what's in all of the big like van bread trucks and stuff around there. Okay. They're all turbo diesel Cummins. So you can... We can put one of those in there. Let's Well, let's do something. I would like I think to do there, that. there needs to be something going on. Because when you're yeah. revving that thing out, I'm like, is what's going on here? <laughs> is something Come happening? On, what are we supposed to be doing? <laughs> and uh, your windshield is flat. <laughs> I know. I go through two windshields a year, Your insurance Chris. company must love you. It's like this military it's, flat windshield that goes straight so across. so much flatter than like even a Jeep Wrangler. Like it is literally just driving your like kitchen bay window down the freeway. So it's, any rock doesn't deflect at all. I it's still cracked because every time I want to replace it, I get another huge rock trip and crack. And I was like, well, good thing I didn't replace it yet because there goes another one. Yeah, that's anyways. I'm getting that replaced this week. That's probably because you spend so much time on the freeway driving to work. If I you, do. If indeed. you drove it like an actual truck, you probably wouldn't have that much of a problem. If you drove it the way your tires would insinuate <laughs> that you drive, you wouldn't have this problem because you'd be out in the woods somewhere. Some meaty tires instead of there. driving. And I'm like, Jake what i can't hear you over the sound of your tires it's like the loudest tires i've ever heard they are the supposedly quietest all-terrain tire of that size no. and aggressiveness they are massively aggressive Besides, for no reason okay people don't want to hear about my truck i is that I, so you can run over poor people when you leave woodbury or what <laughs> there are none <laughs> when you leave oh okay right uh i also kind of realized after being at Luft, and we we spent basically the last two episodes talking about Luft Gutkult. I have what I'm considering a Luft hangover. Okay. So I'm very excited about these two shows in the Midwest that you mentioned because I, I've been working on my car, and after seeing the cream of the crop, the best of the best from all over the country, I my car, I come back and I'm like, this thing's kind of a piece of shit, which I realize it is. I feel the same way about my car. Do you? Of course, because you go there and you see everything is just. <laughs> perfect right? right and these guys spend eighty thousand dollars just on paint and body work right. just on paint and body yeah. work it's mind-blowing and it just makes you feel kind of i don't know and it wouldn't be so i don't know disheartening if it was like you, you go to like a hot rod show and you go oh that's a really cool custom hot rod but no these are the exact same cars that we have that are just built to a higher standard right yeah, so but the anyways thing is, the thing is is that there's it's the best and the worst of Porsches. There's always, like I always say, there's always something to aspire to. So you can always do more, sure. do better, be rare, be more valuable, be faster. I mean, all of these different things, all the way right. up into an RSR or a Carrera RS or a 935 or whatever the case may be, what your 911 shape is and what your model <laughs> is. I mean, the sky's the limit. I mean, yeah. you can, you'll all, it's, it's not worth, it's, it's like chasing horsepower. Chase, right. yeah, chasing yeah. shiny paint. In the Porsche world is the same as chasing horsepower. You could always have a nicer car. You could always have better interior. Speaking of which, what? you're going to buy those stupid seats. No, I found different seats. Okay, that's good. All right, we're on the same page. He was going to buy. He was going to well, buy I some want different seats, for seats, and I want the like 911 RS look. So I found another seat that is good, and you will approve of. Okay, because we were looking at a, basically a seat from a race company. Right. That was kind of it was correct, styled but, that way but it had the race company's name on it and i was like no dude is that what you didn't like about it i didn't when you can get a seat that is looks better 
and you could just put the seat in and it looks nice. That's this thing what I would was do. Not as expensive as those and still extremely high quality because I, it is from a race seat company. We were looking at VintageSeats.com, which is um, I believe me, I've spent time there. It's there's I ordered a set. I've had a set before. I know you have. They are fantastic. And why did you sell them? Because they did. They were fixed back. The reason you told me is they were a, worth so much money that I wanted to get the money that, and that put too. something else I mean, they in were, there. I mean, three, four thousand dollar seats. So they're, right. they're really, really expensive. But I got rid of them mainly because I wanted to put something in the back seat and you couldn't. And it drove me nuts that yeah. there was no flip forward. So they just, do make mounts where the whole seat flips up a little bit on fixed back. That just but that seems, still doesn't give you as much. Yeah. For you, I would probably see if I can find an old set of recaro ls's or seats like mine or those seats bug me i don't like those seats in those cars for some reason your seats i know it's the same vintage they seem too modern for the car how did your back feel all the way out to california pretty amazing (laughs) (laughs) all right anyway so i saw that you aligned your car yeah if you followed on instagram my grandpa taught me how to align a car that way yeah it's a little bit different the way he did it but why don't you explain to people how to align your car at home in the driveway. Yeah. So you basically are creating two parallel lines that are in line with the car. So I took two long lengths of just conduit or metal rod that you know are straight. And then you basically run strings between them. So one at the front of your car and one at the back centered both. How does this work if you have a staggered car? Can you do it? You, if you, no, you do still do that. Okay. All you need to know is that they are parallel with the car. Okay. The line needs to be parallel in line with the car. And so you have a center mark on your, we'll call them the horizontals, basically the pipes that are linked together via the string. Right. And as long as you line those up on the center mark of the car, and I pop my hood even and look at the chassis points, not just, not let's, just, let's, the, let's be fair that the center point on your car <laughs> may or may, may not, not be, be correct, exact, <laughs> but that doesn't matter. That's just how, you know, straight you're going on the road, not necessarily your tires straight right. with each other right so, so uh, now your car's dog legging it down exactly there, right? exactly which would, yeah who knows um so basically you want your lines just as reference points so that you can measure and all you're really doing is measuring how far each wheel lip is from your string then that right. is your straight reference point and based on that if you do the math you can get it extremely extremely close like i was within you know, half a millimeter from edge to edge, which is when it works out to percentages that you see on these alignment racks. It's like you're in the, you know, hundreds or tenths or hundreds. The, the of only problem is, is that you have to jack the car up to change it. No. Well, no. You, I, I wouldn't put that much stress on my. Did you have a lot of stress on your tie rods when you were turning the thing? Not at all. You didn't Here's have, why. The other thing you do is you put them on uh, car dollies, the little wheel caster dolly oh, things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I even did that. So I go in the car and I can like fling my steering wheel because the dollies, you know, spin so easily. Right. So no, there is no, uh, oh, I guess, awesome. resistance at all. And the dollies being higher up off the ground gives you, you know, a little room to work under. Sure. There. Well, that's awesome. So that's a way for everybody to do it because like some of these shops charge eight hundred seven hundred dollars for for an alignment and a corner balance yeah i would short of being lee keen i would challenge anyone i know to be able to tell a difference in their car before and after it was count corner Corner balance come on (laughs) come on give me a break yeah you know what i used for that is a tape measure and i kept tweaking my ride height to get it perfect before i aligned it well here's the thing is that when you get in the car your battery's on one side well your battery doesn't weigh anything so i guess that doesn't really matter check that one off the list yeah but but you being in the car throws off so So they'll corner balance it to the weight of you right which Think of it this way. When you're driving around a corner, if your passenger like starts lurching back and forth, you're going to throw it off. You can feel it. But I would challenge someone to go on and off track and really just I care will say, that there was four more pounds on something else. So based on what you mentioned about having the weight of you in the car, I know some good alignment shops will actually put ballast in the car when they align it. Right. So I had bags of rock salt sitting in my garage and I look at them and I look at my car and I go, should I do, should I put the weight in my seat to like mimic how much I weigh? And I was like, no, that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Going for, overboard. Oh. But hey, it saved you a ton of money. Ton You're, of money. If you get a dial indicator, not a dial, uh, an angle gauge, you can do your camber. Yep. So I showed that as well. Yep. So you cut basically a length of something straight. So I use some angle iron, some half inch angle iron, and I cut it the exact length of what basically my wheel lips are. So then you you mount that along with a level so you can have perfectly 
plumb and level yep. and then you have your dial indicator and you can see i had you can you see know, your degrees like of camber one and a half two degrees of camber right of camber of, camber why Jake, why why do you say camber where did that come from i don't know but it's ingrained in me you now. gotta stop you sound ridiculous <sighs> what was what's the other thing that you say stupid to there was something else no what, yes what is it I don't know. <laughs> There's got to be something. I almost want to reach for my phone and figure out what it was because someone was talking to me about it earlier. So, There's yeah. Uh, next up on the car is a valve adjustment, which I think I need badly. And why do you think you need this? Here's why I think I need it. Let's tell so everybody I, that for your birthday. Oh, yeah. For my birthday. <laughs> this was basically only I te it was more teasing you, but you took it seriously because you mentioned before you're like, you know, it really helps if you've done the valve adjustment on these before, because, yes, you can just measure it with the feeler gauge. But it's really you need to feel how much tension is actually cracked and yep. you need to know what you're doing. It yep. helps to have experienced it before. Yep. And you're like, so when you do that, let me know and I'll come help. And I haven't heard anything since and I haven't really <laughs> bugged you about it. So I go, Chris, it's my birthday this weekend for my birthday. I want you to help me do the valve adjustment. No, you said I want a valve adjustment. I want adjustment. a valve adjustment. Want a valve, right. Which insinuated to me that I'm going to do it for you. Which <laughs> well, is not what I meant. Definitely not going to happen, but I will stand there and watch you do it. Yes. And uh, and I will, we'll go through it together and I'll, because you were teaching, you were going to look at the way of being taught the, like the backside method or something like right. that. There's a, an you opposite way to do you it. You don't need to do any gimmicky weird stuff to get the valve adjustment done. You just do it straight up and it's, yeah. and it's easy. The only thing is not being distracted because you can't lose place of where it, cause you turn the motor over oh, to a certain, you can look right. at your crank pulley and it, yeah. and it has the marks on yep. it. Yeah. And you go a certain amount of degrees every time to go to cylinder to cylinder time. to cylinder. Right. And you don't want to <laughs> lose track of where you are because then you got to start over. Gotcha. Which, I've done that before right. where it's just like your phone rings or you look and you're like, wow, what's fine. When I was redoing my whole ignition system, I realized I had my crank 180 degrees out and oh, I was nice. sitting there cranking and it's backfiring. And I'm, what is going on? <laughs> I swear it's at top dead center. But so, anyways, why do you think you need a valve adjustment? Is okay. it loud? So no. Well, yes, it is very loud. It's clattery. It is very clattery. But the re the the reason I realized I need it is I went through all new ignition system. I rebuilt my carbs. Those are all running great. And I got a carb synchrometer. I don't know if that's the correct term, yep. but it's the thing you put, you know, in your different venturis and it'll tell you the vacuum it's pulling. Right. right? Well, that's how you, you can change your fueling, not just the, you can't, it's not just the butterflies and sinking them, but you can actually change your fueling and you can see that change as well. The velocity of the air will change as you add or remove fuel. Correct. It's actually a really useful tool. Yes. So I was doing that to sync all my carbs up because I can sync, you know, basically like where the idle should be, but each individual throttle throat on those carbs can be adjusted and they should be all sinking the same vacuum yep. in order to run correctly. So the car is idling fine as is like pretty good. And so I go and I see, oh, my, my back two or three are, are off pretty bad. And so when I go to sync them all correctly where they should be, it starts backfiring up through the carb. Okay. Which leads me to believe there's some weird valve overlap or the valve isn't opening all the way or something I mean, well, that needs yeah, to be adjusted. It's certainly worth doing if you've got, we don't know how many miles are on that engine. So it's something you want to do. Every I found a lot of paperwork and it's, it's been probably like 10,000 miles since it it's been adjusted. Should not need to be. It should be like 50,000 miles. You no, should, they say like every eight, don't they? I've checked mine and it, they don't really change oh. much, but I did mine. I really, I really haven't changed mine much because you rebuild the engine and I did it a couple thousand miles in and then I didn't do it for probably 15,000 miles and then I didn't do it again forever, mainly because I forgot. <laughs> I don't realize how much I drive the car. Right. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I didn't really notice that it even needed it after. Yeah, I've read 30, you got to do it like 50. every 5,000, like no, do an oil change. You do not need to do that. <laughs> you absolutely do not need to do but that. But it'll be good to do it and no. Right. So... Uh, I also have a few more parts I need to install, some of which from our sponsor, Renline. So speaking of which, you guys know by now that we've partnered with them and they are offering us a great discount to pass along to you, our listeners. As with all their products, they're extremely high quality and beautifully machined. They design performance products not only for us Porsche guys, but also for BMW, Mini, Audi and others. They've been in business the past 20 years and have developed over 6,000 products to meet 
the needs of Porsche and other enthusiasts. As I mentioned before, though, what really sets these guys apart is that they aren't just another distributor. All their products are designed and engineered in-house right there in Vermont. So do yourself a favor, head over to renline.com and use the code OVERCREST to get 5% off your next order, along with free shipping on orders over $250. So, Chris, before we get into our feature of our episode here... We're going to switch things up a little bit and take a moment to touch on a bit of sad news. Yes, as so, everybody knows now. Uh, you should know this by now, but as this last week, we lost a racing legend. So, Andreas Nikolaus Nicky Lauda was born on February 22nd, 1949 in Vienna, Austria. He went on into racing despite his family's disapproval, starting out in racing a, a Mini Cooper, then in Formula V, quickly making his way into Formula 2, and then on to Formula 1. He went on to win three different Formula One World Drivers Championships in 1975, 1977, and again in 1984. He's the only driver in Formula One history to have been champion for both Ferrari and McLaren, which are the two most successful and competitive teams. Uh, his most notable race, however, was the 1976 German Grand Prix at the Nürburgring. Uh, on the second lap of that now infamous race, loudest Ferrari hit an embankment and burst into flames. Do we know flames. what happened? What happened to the car? Do we know why he crashed there? All I, I read anywhere is that he hit an embankment and burst into flames. So remember, that was the super wet race conditions where everyone kind of was saying, hey, we shouldn't go out racing right now. But it was James Hunt and a few of the other playboys that were like, screw it, we're going out. You don't have to race if you don't want to, but we're going. Right. And so it was basically, the, it was just way too wet for those conditions. He spun out, hit an embankment, and the car burst into flames. Now, despite suffering severe burns to his head and damage to his lungs and blood from the toxic smoke, he missed only two races. <laughs> it's, just, it's just incredible. He Everybody appeared, knows this story. But. Yeah, he appeared six weeks later at the Monza press conference, his face still wrapped in bloody bandages. Could you imagine wearing a helmet with just wounds all over your head? No. It just blows my mind. So he has... He's a lot of great quotes, and he has a book which is um, basically called "To Hell and Back." I wanted to buy it so bad, but it's out of print and it's hundreds oh, really? of dollars. I was going to buy it so we could talk about it a little bit on the podcast, but it's three hundred bucks yeah. for a paperback book. I'm just <laughs> not going to do it. But he, he said my favorite quote by him: "When you look at everything he's ever really said, is mm -hmm. a lot of people criticize Formula One, Formula One as an unnecessary risk. Yes. But what would life be like if we only did what is necessary? And that's to the T, obviously that, that's, that's that's him. That's yeah. that's you just, it really is. If we only did what was necessary, life would be boring, uninteresting, and risk and contrast is what life is all about. And I think he lived that every day. Absolutely. So Lauda passed away in his sleep last week on Monday, May twentieth. He was seventy years old. So the story of Nikki Lauda is well known. It was even made into the blockbuster film Rush just a few years ago, which if you Fantastic. haven't seen, you absolutely need to. It was uh, what a Ron Howard film, actually. Yeah, it was really, really good. It was very good. Um, and it talks about, you know, kind of the rivalry between Lauda and James Hunt back in the 70s and, and how that really kind of drove them both. Right. And like any other story, there's more than meets the eye, right? When you look at the events of that day, there are some interesting details that I started to dig into. And I wanted to take a moment here to really do kind of a history deep dive. Let's do it. So shifting gears. Herbert Linga was born in Weissach, Germany in 1928. He started his career as a mechanics apprentice right there in his own backyard at Porsche's Weissach factory. However, it wasn't long before this lowly apprentice rised out of the obscurity. So what prompted this was kind of lost to history. We may never know what actually happened, but somehow someone at that Porsche factory recognized that Lincoln was a more talented driver than he was a mechanic. And so he quickly established a position for himself on the Porsche Works racing team. He took part in many 24 hours Le Mans races in the 1960s, driving a 917 amongst other cars. However, Perhaps his most famous feat was co-driving a 550 Spider with Hans Hermann in the 1954 Millimiglia. The Millimiglia, which is Italian for thousand miles, was an endurance race held on open public roadways across Italy. 
Cars would be started at intervals, racing against the clock, much like rally racing is done today. Because these were public roadways, open to the public at the time, right. and due to the variable start times, there were many real-world obstacles that drivers would face, such as active railroad crossings. <laughs> it was during the 1954 race that Hans Hermann and Herbert Linga encountered just such a railroad crossing. As they exited a corner, what they saw in front of them were the lowered gates and flashing signals of a train crossing. However, rather than braking, Herman pounced on the accelerator. As the oncoming train approached the crossing, Herman straightened the car and ducked his head below the dashboard. <laughs> Linga followed suit. Absent of a windscreen, the low-slung Porsche 550 was able to slip right under the gates a mere fraction of a second before the high-speed express train sped right through. That's right out of a movie, man. That's awesome. I mean, that takes, that's some serious <laughs> balls right there. I mean, right? could you imagine me and the guy riding with him? Like, Dude, what are you yeah. doing? So you are come you around crazy? the corner and you see the flashing lights, the lowered gates, and you see the train out in your peripheral and you expect the guy to get just hard on the brakes instead. What? And then he just ducks below the dashboard. And then you're, and like, you're like, uh, and then okay. You and then you duck too? Yes. <laughs> the daring act gave the duo a first class win and an amazing sixth place finish overall. So was this, was the Millie Miglia back then a race to see who could do it the fastest? Yes. Okay. Now it's more of a, now it's a historic, now it's a, now it's a race yes. to see how big so, your wallet is. <laughs> basically. Yeah. They, they closed the race off in the seventies after all these people died. One driver actually like plowed into a crowd and killed five children Oh, because it was like such an event around the country that we went from, I forget where to Rome and back. Like it is a long timed endurance race. Right. And so they're speeding through towns and it's a big event and people are crowded around the streets and it just even, went even for me. That it's a little out of control. It I went mean, too far, right? So they closed it down. And then I think in 94 or something, they did basically the Millimiglia classics where it's all these super high end Ferraris and, right. you know, vintage race cars. It's how big is my wallet? Puddle around yeah. towns. So although from the videos I've seen, there's some shenanigans. They're still, they're there's still, still pushing serious, it a little bit. Yeah, there's still some serious shenanigans going on out there. Yeah. So we should go do it, Jake. <laughs> I'm game. I'm game for it. So back to our story of Linga. Uh, in 1960, he went on to win the Tour de Corsa in a Porsche 356 SC90. He is still the only German to ever win that race. Wow. He also drove many other famed cars on the most famed tracks around the world, including the Nürburgring. In fact, Linga even managed to find his way onto the production of Steve McQueen's epic film, Le Mans. His role consisted of driving one of the main character's rival cars in a sequence where McQueen was to overtake him and claim the race lead, right? It's a big part in the movie. Linga was instructed by Steve McQueen himself not to lift off, insisting that he was a quick enough driver that he would pass Linga himself thus making a more authentic shot for the oh, movie. Jesus. Right? After a full week of failed takes, Linga was then instructed by the producer to ease off the gas a little bit and allow McQueen to pass him. They got the shot, but not without McQueen taking a bruise to his ego. No kidding. <laughs> so besides... So what, what was this, I mean, the dude's a professional race car driver. It wins all this stuff, flies, so he has enough balls to challenge a train. Yeah. And McQueen's like, yeah, I could take him. Right. Come on, man. I know. That's ego right there. Oh, for sure. So besides his time filming on the Nürburgring, he knew the course well, having competed in countless endurance races on its unforgiving tarmac. I can't imagine. Cannot. Well, we'll talk more about the Nürburgring later. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, go ahead. It was here that Linga recognized the need for a rapid emergency response unit because you're my you're it's 13 or 14 miles right i mean the whole circuit yeah you see racing at the nurburgring's nordischleif presents one major safety concern that didn't exist at any other track in the world one single lap of the nordischleif is a staggering 12.9 miles 13, long yeah. now just you for know comparison call, do you know sake, what they used to call the nurburgring back then i do and i will get to it <laughs> so 12.9 miles long 
just for comparison's sake, a lap of the Silverstone F1 circuit is just over 3.6 miles. And furthermore, Silverstone, like most other circuits, contains a network of infield roads allowing emergency services to quickly access any point on the track. The Nordischleif doesn't have any such features. It is, after all, simply a dense forest broken up by some fields, which was then, hence given the name, Green Hell. Green Hole. Coined by none other than Sir Jackie Stewart. Mm -hmm. And the reason they called it that is because it was just a sea of trees. If yes. you, there was no arm codes back then. No, you would so, go off track. You're basically dead. You're dead. So it was slamming into a tree. It was the green hell. It yes. would it would it would take lives. It was it's pretty serious. And they have so it's actually was considered. I think it's considered a toll road. Is is what it, it is. Yeah. So you can still pay today to go on it, right? But yeah, but there's little towns like there's a town called Aidenau, okay, which is like just a little bitty tiny German town. Sure, looks like it would be in a on a postcard, and they have <laughs> access to the track right there. So wow. you can, there's like a little gate where you can get it. There's a couple spots around yeah. on little towns. It's big enough that there's different towns right. on, on the circuit. Yeah, and it's 13 the, miles. And one thing that people don't realize is the extreme amount of elevation changes yeah. that exist. I've driven the Nürburgring. You have. I have. And the elevation changes are out of this world. You'll really? never, ever get that perspective driving in a video game. You must go drive it while well, you still can. I mean, for now, it's safe, but at some point, at some point, they're just going to lock it down. Yeah, you, you got to go out there. You got to drive it. It's it's an incur I don't know how these guys memorize the track. Right. How do you even video games playing hour after hour? You still don't know what turns still coming don't get up. It. You still don't get it. And I just don't. These guys are heroes for, no for doing this stuff. Well, that and because of all the danger. I mean, given the great length and remote nature of the course meant that when things went wrong on the North Leaf, help would be minutes away. And when dealing with racing accidents, it's seconds that can make the difference between life and death. In an era when fatalities were commonplace, Linga sought to restore confidence in competitors, even as the cars increased speed and basically outpaced any sense of safety in the cars. Linga took this notion and formed the Oberste Nationale Sportbetor, which translates roughly to the Supreme National Sports Authority. Supreme. I like that. Supreme. Uh, because German is such a crazy long-winded language, they used the abbreviation ONS and added the term squad, giving us the organization that it's known in German, the ONS Straffel. Straffel. It sounds like something you would eat. It's actually not Straffel. It's Stoffel. ONS Stoffel. I would still eat some Stoffel. <laughs> <laughs> I would too. It sounds delicious. Let's have it. So as an aside, that's actually not the name today. The organization was later renamed the Deutscher Motorsportbund Stoffel. We, we still know why? Stoffel. Why was it renamed? I mean, uh, instead of Supreme National Sports Authority, it's the German Motorsport something. Boring. Stoffel. <laughs> I like the Supreme Authority is much better. Yeah, I don't. It's kind of supreme leaderish, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, knowing knowing this guy, well, we yeah, true. All right. So, regardless, the ONS Staffel was comprised of a fleet of first response vehicles. The first of which was based on the mid-engined Porsche 914, fitted with a firefighting kit in the rear luggage compartment over the engine. You know what I would want coming after me if I was burning in my car seven miles away. A 1.8 liter <laughs> 914. Come and get me. Well, hold on. So I'm burning alive. <laughs> Please come get me with 80 horsepower. Come on, man. Well, okay. It was a. He knows Porsches. Yeah. It's a good platform. There's actually a decent amount of luggage in these things. So right. he's got all the firing fighting equipment in the rear luggage compartment, and he's got a so bunch this of things even slower <laughs> right. because it's overlaid. Okay, hold on, <laughs> and you also have a bunch of like cutting equipment stored in the front. Right. Which, Chris, after researching this, I realized I'm pretty sure one of these cars was actually at Luft. Right under the water tower there. Did sure. you see an orange 914 and it didn't have any like engine compartment lids on I it? I think that's a, a custom car somebody made. I don't if think. it is, I'm pretty sure it's a tribute to this. Okay. Because they had a bunch of like jacks and cutting equipment and stuff in the back. I didn't look. I didn't look at anything. I don't know. But now I'm like want to relive that moment and be like, wait, is that what this is? Okay. Now that I know the history. So there would be more to join this 914 soon as Linga's organization developed two tiers of cars. The R-Wagen, Wagen, sorry, and the S-Wagen. 
The Arvagans were this aforementioned Porsche 914 along with modified 911s, designed to be the first responders on the scene of an accident. Well, who decides whether you're gonna someone's gonna come save you with a 914 <laughs> or someone's gonna come save you in a 911? I don't know. I think the newer cars were 911s after they figured out maybe for, they were under. For Formula One, they brought the they brought the 911 out, but for yeah, any other touring go. car races, it was the 914. So Here's the coolest part, though. These cars were driven by former racing drivers with advanced trauma doctors sitting shotgun. That's awesome. I think that's so badass. So the S-Wagons, on the other Who's hand... Who's driving these things? It's it's all these ex-racing drivers. That's pretty cool. Like I said, ex-former racing drivers, yeah. and then the trauma surgeons are sitting shotgun, which is just such a cool combo. I like, mean, if you, want, if you want someone coming to save you, it's a race car driver who knows the course yep. and a trauma surgeon. Yes. Yeah. Boom. Right there. Um, S-Wagons, on the other hand, were larger sedans similarly equipped with the rescue equipment. However, rather than high-speed response units, they were to be positioned at several spots around the circuit, being able to reach any spot on the track within 30 seconds. So you have the high-speed cars coming to get there in a matter of moments, and then you know that another one is on its way 30 seconds out. Right. So it wasn't long before Herbert Lingas... Well, this, is, this was kind of an unheard-of thing oh, at 100%. the time. I mean, this is something that... Well, and it's it's also unprecedented because, like I said, the Nürburgring is such an odd duck having basically no infield. Right. It's so long and so remote that no other tracks really needed this. That's true. So it wasn't long, though, before Herbert Linga's ONS Staffel was put to the test. The infamous crash of the 1976 German Grand Prix remains a dark day in motorsport history. On only the second lap of the Nürburgring, just before the Bergwerk turn, as it's called, Niki Lauda's Ferrari hit that embankment and burst into flames. The crash prompted the end of Formula One racing at Nürburgring. However, it was not the end for Niki Lauda. That was the last race of Formula One there. Yes. Really. Thanks to Herbert Linga's ingenuity, a bright orange 911 arrived on the scene within seconds. It was none other than an ONS Staffel Arwagen, and it undoubtedly saved Nikki Lauda's life that day. Porsche saving lives. <laughs> that's, I just think it's a really cool story. And we have a photo to put up next to it. Because when you look at the photos of the crash that day, and there are a few photos, it's kind of conspicuous. You see this orange 911 that looks out of place. And it's just there with the, with basically with the doors open. Right. right? And this is... When I look at this picture of this car here, that's parked, that's basically parked where you can see Nikki Lauda's car. It's, I don't know, there's a couple of cars here. I see a Chaparral over there. I see a few other things. Right. But this looks like, I don't know, it looks like it's got some Panasports on the rear. This looks like an ST, maybe? Yeah. When I don't you know look what at, this is. I sent you another picture of kind of his fleet of the ONS Straffel. And that's the car sitting front there. And it does have some wide rear that's flares. Not the, that's not the same car because that one's car. got stripes all over it. I'm looking at this one and it's got that both of the doors are open. It doesn't looks like it's got some simple door cards. This photo. Could you find a lower resolution photo? <laughs> I'm sorry. I wasn't there. There's in more pixels. In there. There's less pixels than cars. Um, <laughs> I feel like I see some Panasports on the rear. The, the front front wheels are a little silver. So they okay. look like Fuchs. So this maybe right. this is like an ST or something because it's got like a fiberglass rear bumper. But okay. it's got it's got our, mm, I don't know. It's got different exhaust, dual outlet exhaust like my car has. I don't know. It's a it regardless. It's a, it's we'll, a serious machine. We'll post the photo up when yeah. we when we do the episode or put, and put it up on social media. It's really cool to know the history behind that. Yeah, and why that's there. And, and here how, in front of the car, here's all the drivers yep. just standing there like oh, and there's obviously a very serious accident and it's obviously this car saved Nikki Lauda's life getting it, somebody it really there did. as fast as they did. So that was a great story, Jake. Well, well, uh, to tie into the, the passing of Nikki Lauda and, uh, the sad news. Yeah, yeah, it really is. That's, that's all you can say about it. So before we move on to some other news, we want to talk a little bit about Patreon. We have yet another exclusive out I just recorded an episode. It's out now. Yes, it is for Patreon members. Um, we also have wallpapers up there, some videos of episodes, you know, when we can record that. And it's not just for me, it's not just what you guys are getting as Patreon members. It's knowing that you're part of this show. You're part yeah. of what we're doing here. You're supporting the show. You're supporting us, you know, five, 10 or 25 bucks a month, five bucks a month. You get exclusive content. You get some stickers, you know, t uh, $10. You get a shirt. 
$25, you get a signed 16 by 20 print. I'll work on it with you. We'll find out what print, look at my Instagram feed, whatever you want. I'll make something awesome for you. And you get a shirt and stickers and everything else through yeah. that as well. And and like you were alluding to, I mean, beyond, you know, kind of the, the simple things that we give you as a thank you, we really just are so kind of humbled and appreciative of you guys supporting us. And yeah. It means a lot and it Absolutely. keeps us going. It I does. don't know if without any of that, if we could be where we are today. Probably not. Probably, probably not with the with the amount of that amount of money that it costs for rent and everything else. It's right. It's it's not a ton of money, but it definitely it helps keep, and it means a lot. It helps and it helps with the finances, but also helps morale. You yeah, know, for sure. Knowing that you guys believe in us and and what we're doing and so, care. All right, so let's talk a little bit of news. Okay, um, I've got a few news stories here. Like I said, I was a little overwhelmed, so I just picked a few things that I thought were interesting. The first one is um, is Tesla now every parent's worst nightmare. Uh, basically, what happened is um, Goka Law Group Incorporated announced a lawsuit filed against Tesla on behalf of its clients regarding a potentially deadly design flaw of the 2018 Tesla Model X. Okay. The lawsuit alleges the vehicle fails to include proper safety control devices to ensure the vehicle isn't unintentionally operated. Which unintentionally operated should not be a thing that a vehicle can do. I <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get to that point and find out. We're okay. Gonna, so what actually happened? We'll see what you have patience in terms of breaking this down. You just wave your hand when you're done. But yeah. um, so I'm going to read a little bit from the the legalese from the actual okay. lawsuit. Harcourt, um, uh, con- which is the mother in okay. this case, continued calling BH, which is a child. Okay, so okay. you've got the mother and the child. Continued calling BH to come out of the car as she continued towards BH. The vehicle was off and in park. As Harcourt moved directly in front of the Model X in order to remove BH from the vehicle, the Model X, with its Falcon wing doors still open, suddenly and without warning, accelerated toward her, lifting her off her feet, carrying her into the garage, then slamming and pinning her into the garage wall. BH was still in the Model X, but immediately started screaming and crying as he watched his mother fly up in the air. Wow. The mother was unable to free herself as she knew she was greatly injured and immediately feared for her life and the safety of her two children. Harcourt began screaming for help to her neighbors at the park across the street. They immediately ran over but were unable to stop and reverse the Model X. She had to guide the neighbors on how to stop, reverse, and turn it off. 911 was immediately called, transporting her to the hospital due to the severity of her injuries. Not only did she receive numerous fractures to her pelvis and a broken leg, but also premature excuse me, prematurely delivered her daughter naturally through a broken pelvis. Because of the, because of what happened, she couldn't get a, couldn't get a C-section. Further, she continued to to watch her uh, BH endure trauma, stress, anxiety, as she believed he hurt his mother and newborn baby sister. So here you have a mom coming home from probably the grocery store or something with her kid. She gets out of the car, walks around the car's off yep, in, in park. park. The doors are open. She's walking around the front of the car in the garage to go get her toddler out. And out of nowhere, the car just takes off, rams her into the side of the garage, crushes her pelvis. She's pregnant. Wow. In, so here's the deal, though. How does this happen? Right. Right. How does this happen? All right. So um, here's the difference of opinion. The okay. plaintiff is claiming that the Tesla drove into the mom. Tesla is claiming the kid drove into the mom so those are the two different sides you have to this story oh, now man. i'm going to read you tesla's um response yes. to this okay um as you may know tesla vehicles record operational and diagnostic data continuously and at regular intervals transmit that data over the air to our servers the data enables our engineers and blah 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 okay so they okay, so they, they're saying they have data they have of the this data. event albeit in this case some of those inputs were reportedly coming from your client's young son Specifically, in this case, the driver parked the vehicle, unbuckled, and opened the driver's door to exit. The driver's door was then closed and left, and the left side Falcon wing door, i.e. the rear left, the left rear door, was opened. Moments later, someone pressed the driver's door handle, triggering the driver, driver's door to open. The vehicle remained in park at this time and left the Falcon door open. About nine seconds later, the brake pedal was pressed, which prompted the driver's door to automatically close. About three seconds later, the gear selector lever was manually used to shift the vehicle into drive gear, triggering an operator alert advising that the various doors were open with the vehicle in gear. 
Over the next six seconds, the vehicle continued to be in drive gear with the brake pedal pressed until the accelerator pedal was pressed and the brake pedal was released. Over the next second, the vehicle's speed increased in response to the pressure being applied to the accelerator pedal. Over the next two seconds, the accelerator continued to be pressed, ranging, ranging from 44% to 98%. Wow. The brake pedal was briefly pressed, prompting the vehicle to issue a user message advising that both pedals were being pressed. At this time, pressing the brake overrode the accelerator pedal such that the motor torque being commanded by the accelerator input was appropriately suppressed. Wow. In the next four seconds, while varying manual pressure, I mean, they are detailed on this. Well, okay. In the next four seconds, while varying manual pressure continued to be applied to the accelerator pedal, the vehicle speed increase was consistent with the pressure applied to the accelerator pedal. Basically saying, hey, the car, we, we, the car someone shut the door, so someone put it in drive. Read me just as you can, if you can scan through that, read me all the seconds. I want to, I want to add up the time here. Okay. Okay. So, so from the time she, what? So, uh, nine, 15, 19 seconds. It seems like this, this all happened. Okay. In, in 19 so that seconds. Is, yeah. You know, so I at, was thinking it was going to add up to like three minutes and it's like, it doesn't take three minutes to walk around the outside of the car, but this is plausible. Their timeline. Right. Our vehicles are designed with a lot with the logic that automatically shifts the vehicle into park when certain criteria are met. Namely, neither pedal is pressed for a few seconds and two of the three following conditions are met. Driver is not detected. Driver's seatbelt is unbuckled or driver's door is open. In this instance, the pedals were being pressed. So the conditions necessary to shift into park were not met until after the incident when the pedals were released and the vehicle automatically shifted to park. So the kid is obviously pushing the gas pedal the whole time or something. Um, and nobody could get it back into park because nobody understands because the car's a, f- it's a, a, sp- it's a spaceship to right. most people that haven't dealt with them. Um, <sighs> finally, with respect to the request for insurance information, was confirmed Tesla does not have insurance applicable to a claim of this nature, i.e. claim of defect in a customer owned vehicle. Okay. I don't, so we have not found any other instance of this sequent event of events ever occurring. An unsupervised child manages to successfully to shift the vehicle into gear and then apply the accelerator pedal. And we do not believe it reasonably foreseeable. We trust you will consider the above before taking any further action in this matter. Basically, they're saying, hey, your kid put the car in drive, hit the gas and ran you over. Right. Any other car, you wouldn't blame the manufacturer. Okay, so here's the here's the real question. Okay, how does a toddler do this? How, what, what? So are we operating under the assumption that's actually what happened, that the kids somehow got in the driver's seat or in the driver wheel well or, you know, like floor to say no means that Tesla's lying about the data. Right. Which, no, they're not going to lie about the data because that data is going to be subpoenaed in court. OK, so we know that the data, as we just read it, is factual. There's no, so, I mean, they're not going to fabricate that data. I don't. I know. I'm trying to think of a scenario because when I first heard the story, I was picturing little BH, whatever his name is, like buckled into a car seat in the back seat. He's not. So here's what toddlers do. You get home, you put it in park, they unbuckle themselves. They know my kids know once you're at home, you can unbuckle yourself, but you can't open the doors. Okay. Mommy and daddy open the doors. Gotcha. That's they always go. Can I unbuckle? Yes, you can unbuckle. So even if I said, yes, you can unbuckle and get out of the car. It sounds like this car, this kid climbed into the front seat because he's supposed to be in the back seat. Right. So I'm guessing he climbed out of the back seat, climbed into the front seat. Now, here's the question. How does a toddler hit the brake pedal, put it in drive, and then hit the gas pedal? Their legs are not that 20, long. 20 inches long. <laughs> my kids can't reach the pedals in any of my cars. And my daughter is five and she's in the 90th percentile of height and she right. can't do it. Right. So how did this happen? How? What is the process in which so this is going to be an intense court case because they're going to get up a, a dummy the size of the kid yep. and put it in the car and say, this is how this happened. And in reality, what this sounds like is just something terrible happened. It Yeah, I, something it's a terrible freak happened. accident is what you kind of have to. But here's here's one way that this could have been a couple ways that this could have been prevented. OK, driving driver monitoring system, they've which got cameras in the cars. It's it's a thing enabled, right? Well, I don't know that it exists and functional yet, but it's supposed to make sure that you're paying attention to the road, even though it's an autonomous mode. You could have. Why not have that be how the car starts? Just facial recognition. It's your car. You get in. That's how it works. That way, that's when your kid climbs in the front seat. He doesn't run you over when you're (laughs) emptying the groceries out of the car Or, or if someone tries to carjack you, doesn't recognize their face. It won't run. That is a genius idea. So, I th- What's the uh, Rimac has. I think biometric 
recognition to get into the car and okay. probably to start it i would imagine that's right they do have some sort of facial so recognition why isn't that in a tesla the other thing is um how does the car know that somebody's in the seat it's mm-hmm. got a pressure bladder in it with hydraulic fluid yeah that when you put pressure on it it closes a loop and says someone is sitting here they weigh this much yeah and every car since who knows when has that because that's why your seatbelt alarm dings that right? or it will turn the airbag light on or off based right. on the weight of the individual sitting right. in the passenger seat. So this technology exists. Why was someone that probably weighs 35 pounds, 40 pounds, even 50 pounds for a fat kid? How are they able to? I mean, there's so many ways that the, that common sense would make this not possible. Are we assuming it's a toddler? Do they say toddler? It's a, it, it is a to, it is a toddler. Um, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't remember the kid's age off the top of my head. I can, okay. I'll look it up, but. Uh, I just want to make sure we're not like just operating under false assumptions here, but because it makes sense if it was, I don't know, some dumb 15 year old kid. Right. I don't know why or how, but wow. Look right here. It says my toddler. Basically, she okay. says my toddler was able to drive the car. My toddler. She says toddler over and over again. Um, I'm looking at a picture of the kid. Oh, they even have a photo. Uh, well, his face is obscured, but th- there's a picture for goodness sakes, it's the wife and the dad and the car with a bow on it holding the kid. <laughs> You're a jerk, Jake. Why are you? Come on, I don't man. know. It's just, yeah. I mean, it's, the kid's probably three, judging by looking yeah, at the kid. He's so. three. And how, why does a three-year-old know how to put your Tesla? I mean, they, here's the thing. Kids absorb everything. Yeah. My wife and I'll be having conversations and three days later, they'll repeat it. They're constantly looking yeah. and just collect their like sponges for information. So they've just watched Mom or dad so, put it in drive a million times. True. The thing is, how did this work? Did he crawl down into the wheel well? Right. That's what I don't so understand. So we'll update on this on this story later. Um, I don't want to harp on about on this one too much. So let's go on to something a little bit more lighthearted, exciting. Ex- let's go with fun. Ex- let's go with let's go with exciting. So if the Ferrari. So if you noticed on social media the other day, I posted an obscure, like weird, artsy photo of right, a Ferrari. Right, and Ferrari said something like, "We're releasing. We're something releasing big. the newest thing, and it's just it's the stupid Rorschach test of car marketing. <laughs> <And> <laughs> you can't even plots. You mean? <laughs> so um, they released the Ferrari SF90. Okay, going to be the super duper fast new Ferrari. Not not the La Ferrari, which was. So that Basically, was like a limited limited edition. You had to be production. super special. You had to sit about 10 stories tall when you sat on your wallet. You know, it's like <laughs> impossible. And basically, you needed to own other Ferraris like an F40 or an Enzo okay. or something like that. Okay. You know, all so, that exclusive so what stuff. is this SF90? So the SF90. So SF is Scuderia Ferrari. Right. And the 90 means the 90th year since Scuderia has been building cars. Okay. So it's the 90th anniversary. Okay. Uh, it's a plug-in hybrid with 15 miles of charge on battery only. So you can go electric only in a Ferrari for the first time ever. For the first time ever for 15 miles. And it is also the first front-wheel drive Ferrari. Okay. Because the electric motors are front-wheel drive. So it is a front-wheel drive Ferrari. <laughs> in in all-electric mode. Okay. In all-electric mode, it's front-wheel drive. Yeah. Obviously, it's the, one of the... There's not very many all-wheel drive Ferraris out there. There's, there's, there's like two or three. Well, the, the weird shooting brake one from a few years ago. And then there's something else. I, I'm not a super Ferrari guy, but there's two or three. So it's very uncommon. Right. I mean, front-wheel drive is very uncommon. But we, this is an all-wheel drive car, four-liter turbocharged V8, uh, which was related... Related to the unit in the F8 Tributo, which, which I don't, I don't know what that is. So I had to go look it up. It's basically the evolution of the 488. Okay, which is pretty common. That's the Ferrari that you see all the time. It's the 488. Well, yeah, that's the latest. I, I'm I'm still on like the the 458. I right? Know. Wasn't it's, that the new one? It's yeah. It's, no. <laughs> so uh, the engine only is a it's a twin turbo V8. It's 769 horsepower. Okay. And once you add the electric motor, it's 986 horsepower. And here's my problem with this. <laughs> Why can't we just come up with another 14 horsepower and make it a thousand horsepower? It's Ferrari, right? Just I can't believe someone on the board is like, all right, how much does it make? 986. Okay, here's guys. Go back to the drawing board. <laughs> give me 14 horsepower. Just throw another volt at that stupid electric motor. For and get marketing us a- dollars alone, it would have been worth them to be able to say it's a thousand it's- horsepower Ferrari. That said, it is the most powerful road going Ferrari ever. Sure. So it's it's up there. Um, basically, it has three electric motors two driving okay. the front wheels and one in between the engine and the transmission right basically like most the, uh, traditional hybrids are something yeah um the it's i mean 62 miles an hour in two and a half seconds 124 miles an hour in 6.7 and it tops out at 211 which will be 
which is amazing. It also has a qualify mode, so you hit which this, is so if you're just feeling super sweaty, <laughs> you know, if you, if and you just hit that qualify mode, and you can go sit in California traffic as you leave Beverly Hills to go shopping. Somewhere. I don't understand what qualify mode is. Well, it's for track. For, it's right. It's, so it's, it's like the super race mode. It is the probably the least amount of input from the computer. Right. It's the easiest way to die. Right. Is is but, my impression. But, your joke here is that Nobody's, no one's going to no use that for its intended purpose. <laughs> nope. I, what percentage of guys that or ladies that would buy this car going to the track and throwing it in qualify mode and seeing what they can do to their buddy with a P1? Right. I don't. Yeah. Come on. Let's. There's not enough videos on the Internet of guys crashing these things <laughs> for that to be the case. For that to be the case. <laughs> um, so there's a 16 inch digital screen in the instrument cluster. Like a big oh, dig- right in front of the steering wheel. That's digital. your pinnacle is just a big digital. That's it. So here's the thing Which that's I kind guess of, is the standard now. It is. But here's the cool thing. You know what I like is I like that some marks have a analog gauge yes. in the middle. Surrounded by. And then by, surrounded by the yes. digital stuff. Um, it has a steering wheel that, quote, completes that transfer process from the competition world and also ushers in a new era by introducing a series of touch commands that allow the driver to control virtually every aspect of the car without ever taking their hands off the wheel. So this is haptic feedback on the steering wheel. Okay. Do you know what haptic feedback yeah, is? Yeah, where like it, it feels like you're touching buttons and it vibrates back. And it, yeah. It, it's like when your phone battery on your Apple iPhone dies, yep. the buttons don't do anything because they have no voltage. They don't have feedback anymore. So this is a button that can be uh, adjusted and changed based on the behavior that the, the car wants the button to sure. do. So it's like... If you turn your iPhone off, the home, the buttons don't do anything. Right. Especially if you have a, like an iPhone eight or whatever. Yeah. And you try and hit the home button when it's off, it's dead. It's not a button anymore. Right. So these are like electronic buttons. It's kind of I've never seen that in a car before. I thought that was yeah. that was really really interesting. Um, you may remember the exclusivity of the LaFerrari, like we right. mentioned, but this isn't that. It's this is actually a production car. So so Joe Blow, you and I, when we win the, the the lottery, we can basically go get it. We can. We can. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. We have a we have a listener that did win a, win the lottery. Well, it wasn't, well, no. I get, he did Different scenario the, where he came into a windfall. Right. He came into a windfall and ended up getting his dream car, which is which is for... Uh, for any of us listeners and car guys, I mean, that's that's awesome. It is, it is amazing. I actually want to tell his story one of these days. We it's, will. It's a really interesting story and, you know, kind of heartwarming and, and humorous the way it started out. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll tell it someday once once I feel like the, the story has run its course and I and I have a good grasp of it. We'll sure we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, so uh, next on the news before we've got two more stories left, the Chevy Corvette, the new one is to have an encrypted ECU. So when you say the new one, is this the mid-engine one? Yeah, yeah. The one with the, so I still, the 2020. Okay, so the 2020 Chevy Corvette is going to be the mid-engine one that everyone's talking about and I don't follow the news on. I think so, right? I don't know. That's why I'm saying I don't follow the news on this I, stuff. I would think so. I, yes, yes. I'm going to confirm yes because okay. I can't imagine Now, it are they way. making the mid-engine one alongside the traditional front-engine one? No. So what, the Corvette is only going to be mid-engine. Correct. So they're going to have year. a bunch of different trims for engines and stuff like that. There's going to be. Um, well, let me tell you about this ECU first, which is I think the kind of the interesting part of this because you know we all love to tune the ECUs. Okay. Right. Um, GM's new global electrical system, which the next-gen Corvette reportedly uses, is so secure that it will be off limits to anyone but Chevy. First of all, is that legal? Right. There's the whole. Because that's I, maybe concept of maybe it. Tesla's kind of opening the door to this because right. Tesla doesn't let anybody do anything and that's illegal for so sure. We talked or we'd like briefly touched on this I think last year. Tractor guys, right? Did you remember yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about this? The, jo- the John Deere guys, but that's not a that's not a car, so it, the same similar rules do not apply. Why? It's something that you purchase and you now own. So that that's where basically the the back and forth is. Right. I purchased this, I own it. I should be able to do as I, I wish. Own, I own the software. The question is, do you own the software on that car? Right. Do you own that intellectual property? For me, the answer is yes. I have the right to do with that as I please. I don't have the right to redistribute it. Okay, because there you go. Because I was thinking, how is it any different than these computers in front of us? We bought the computer, but we don't expect to be able to like rewrite the iOS or the OS, right? Right. Uh, but it's as long as you're not redistributing, you've basically purchased a license you own. So that's the thing is they, they basically say you're purchasing a license to use the software from us, which is kind of bullshit. I don't know why they fight this so hard. You know, every manufacturer just does this. They encrypt their ECUs. They make them impossible to crack. So no tuning company can. Why? 
Why? Who cares? Why does Volkswagen right. continually update their software to make it so APR, Revo, whoever can't do anything with it? Yeah, you're Who right. Like, what's the benefit? Why are we spending our, our human capital doing that? Who, who cares? If I want to chip my car and who gives a shit? It's mine. Yeah. Screw I guess you. I don't know the answer. The 2020 Corvette has been reported to use a new global electrical system framework devised by General Motors, one so complex that working out its kinks allegedly delayed the C8's reveal by six months. Why don't you look up quick? Make I sure am it's right C8. now. Make sure I'm actually right on that. Yep. Um, according to Muscle Cars and Trucks, this system's nerve center is an ECU with security measures so stiff that it'll shrug off most attempts to modify its code. Extreme encryption measures reportedly even that Wow, who wrote this? Extreme encryption <laughs> measures <laughs> Extreme encryption measures reportedly mean that even reading the ECU's code will be exceptionally tricky for tuners who have long loved the Corvette for its easy performance gains with slight modification. Sources allegedly told the publication that the C8's ECU can recognize attempts to modify its code and that it may shut down while you're working on it to save its factory settings. And that it may, um, so should some third-party code make its way into the ECU, the car will reportedly enter a recovery mode, wherein the car is effectively bricked, meaning it won't start really? and won't be tunable with anything other than proprietary GM gear. Wow. And I'm going to guess you're not going to be running standalone on almost any modern car. So that's obviously out. I suppose. And also, this Corvette, yeah. the entire chassis, as far as I know, no manual transmission. Oh. Yeah, I suppose so not. So this will be the first Corvette that's probably is reportedly no manual transmission on the car. So we're not far from the, when they're officially going to debut this car. Okay. July CA. 18th is when we're going to know everything about it. All right. So we'll update and on, it is on this. the mid engine C8. Yeah, I thought it was, Corvette. but thanks for, I just, thanks for checking. I, I haven't been. Thanks for doubting me. I appreciate it. it. No, right? it's okay. I understand. It's, it's so, well, if I don't doubt you, we don't have a show here, <laughs> by the way. That's probably true. <laughs> That's probably true. But here's the thing is the whole point of that me talking about this is just why do we care, man? Yeah. Why do we care what people do with their car? I know. What's the problem? It's what do they think is going to happen? Someone's going to blow their car up. Who cares? It's their car. If they blow a, blow a piston through and a rod through the block because they chipped it and screwed with the car, they're not going to bring it back to you. And be like, well, well <laughs> look at right. this yeah, rod there, here. there's no liability because so, even even there's ways to to. So maybe they're worried about warranties, but the way Volkswagen does it now um, is obviously APR has cracked it, but there's on the new cars, mm -hmm. there's a flash count. Okay. So it keeps track of how many times the oh, ECU so has been flashed. Because the old thing would be you'd, you'd tune your car, but then you'd put it back to the stock tune when you brought it to the dealer. Right. So now they can say, well, they keep track of how many times they flash it. Yep. So they flash it three times and then you come back and it's been flashed five times to go, well, we didn't flash this. Who did? So then they can say, hey, even if it's stock, they say, well, this this car has been flashed this many times. It's out of warranty, blah, yep. blah, blah. Anyway, so last story of the day. Um, this is the technology is dumb story of the week. Okay. Um, smart traffic cam issues driver ticket for scratching his face, not talking on the phone. So the guy had oh, his hand no. up to his face and he was yeah. scratching his cheek. Right. And the camera was looking at him. And if you look at the photo, and I'll, I'll post the article in the show notes, you look at the picture, he's got his hand. Like it looks like he's holding a phone, <laughs> but it's looked like he's miming holding a phone because there's nothing actually there. <laughs> According to China's of course, this is China. Okay, QLB, a driver identified only by his last name, Liu, was driving his Peugeot at 7.20 a.m. on May 20th when he had an itch on the right <laughs> side of his face. <laughs> Liu reached up to scratch himself as he drove under a camera that was watching for drivers that talk on their phone while driving. Wow. And the pose of his hand, as seen in the photo, triggered an automatic citation. Wow. So it's all AI. Yep. When Liu re received notice of the citation, complete with the photo proving him guilty, he posted to the Chinese social media site, Sina Weibo. Now, here's my question. Hmm. You've heard about the um, the social media judging system that they have in China, right? I don't know much about it. I know there is no Facebook. There's, I mean, it's so they have, you know, Sina Weibo, which is government. Okay. You know, it's gov everything. Well, yeah, everything is, is government run or whatever. Yes. So it's got this weird pseudo capitalist fascist communist <laughs> right. nightmare going on over there, which has achieved incredible growth for them at the expense of uh, other people. But anyway, um, with the social stuff that they do, if you don't do the right things on social media, you can't get a passport. You can't get wow. loans. You can't move to certain areas. You can't get a car because you don't, you're not an upstanding. It's, I don't know. Ca it's called a social credit system. Really? So I think it's brave that this guy even went and posted I was going to say, why would you even be on social media yeah. then? So he says, quote, 
I often see other people online exposed for driving and touching other people's legs. Wait, what? Lewis said, according to a translation of the now deleted post from BBC. <laughs> so it's something about the translation. Oh, the is... now deleted post. Yeah. Okay. But this morning, for touching my face, I was also snapped for breaking the rules. Wait. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> the translation's a little off. I think he meant to say, like, oh, people get in trouble for maybe, like, violating other people or touching people. I got in trouble for touching myself is how I believe he meant the post to actually translate. Yeah, but why would you get a ticket for touching someone else's leg while you're driving? I don't. Maybe that's a thing, too. Maybe you have to keep your hands to yourself. Maybe. <laughs> the rules are made by four-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> no touching allowed while in the car. Keep your hands and feet to yourself. Use your voice at a level two only. No yelling. Inside voices in this car. <laughs> oh, man. But... Last month, this is an addendum here. <laughs> okay. Last month, a Connecticut man successfully argued in court that a police officer who ticketed him for driving while talking on his phone mistook a Donald's, McDonald's hash brown for a smartphone, successfully avoiding a $300 ticket and a distracted thing on his. Uh, <laughs> on his. So Stryber fought the ticket in court and lost. The judge ruled against the 45-year-old, leaving him with a $300 ticket and a bruised ego. He wasn't going to give up that easily, however, because Stiber looked for an attorney who's willing to take his case and promptly hired John Thigerson to represent him. Is this like Better Call Saul? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So uh, distracted driving uh, violations go on your record and never come off, he says. Plus, a lot of people don't realize your insurance rates go up. Sure. After a second appearance in court, Thigerson's arguments proved to be successful. Originally, the officer's statement said that Stiber held an illuminated object the size of a cell phone to his mouth and was moving his mouth. Thigerson rebutted the claims, stating that the officer had actually observed was the process of mastication. <laughs> Which I had Very to look official. up. Very official. It's chewing. It's chewing. chewing. Yeah. Right. Uh, a Freedom of Information Act request filed by Stiber and his attorney revealed from the officer that the officer was on his 15th consecutive hour of duty and that his tiredness resulting from the double shift contributed to his confusion of a cell phone sized fried potato rather than an actual cell phone. After the arguments, wow. the judge rules that the state was unable to uphold its burden of proof and ruled in the favor, favor of Stiber. That's a P funny story. Police officers are human and make mistakes, said Thigerson. That's all. So thanks to the, the drive for that story. That's, that's <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of police officers being able to give tickets for you being on your phone? Oh, man. I don't know. I think it. I have mixed feelings about it. Because I, I want everyone else to not be on their phone, but I'm much more responsible than any other human being, Chris. <laughs> I'm sure most, so, right? So, so you want to give yourself the I excuse. think I've said this before is I think it's all situational. Right. I think it should be um, almost like driving with the conditions. You know, if, if it's raining and snowing, the speed limit's 55, you should get pulled over for going 55 because that's too fast. Yeah. But if there's a lot of traffic and you're on your phone, you should maybe get pulled over and start paying attention to the freaking bumper to bumper traffic. That's right, right here before you rear end somebody. Right. But if it's, you know, it's four o'clock in the morning and you're on your phone driving home, talking to your wife to stay awake, which I do. Right. Screw you. Yeah. There's no one around. I'm not endangering anybody. Right. So it should be by the condition. And I, I know that makes it a gray area. I was going to say that it's but, all subjective, but it actually makes it to me. It makes it a more enforceable, better way to do it i would agree you know that way it's, that's a, it's, it's a good point anyway so um I, we, we're way over time i know uh, we don't have time for the listener questions and stuff so we have we'll, we do have some good questions and some good feedback that we we'll do. get to next week hopefully hopefully next week or the week after or the week after that but we've got some stuff that i really want to talk about one of the one of the listeners has been lambasting me about um my hating on kia and using that as my my uh well it it's it goes deeper than that but yes it's a really good kind of uh point and talk on basically what makes a brand you it, know we'll get it we'll get into it worth, another time worth being worth cool yeah, yeah. Worth being cool. so we'll get into that uh that's a topic that's going to take some time anyway yeah which we don't have time for today so guys head over to patreon.com slash overcrest join up support the show we love you and uh as as always spread the word if you yeah, like share this, with your friends if you like this podcast your friends will too don't be selfish share the podcast we really really appreciate it uh we'll see you guys next week take care